Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette, and this is your Locked On Canucks for the afternoon of Tuesday, March the 3rd. Of course, yesterday was all about the Leafs game on Saturday. Today, breaking down the calamitous loss on Sunday against the Columbus Blue Jackets with the gentleman who had the distinct misfortune to be handling the post-game duties for Canucks Army on that one. Uh, returning to the show, the one and only Chris Faber of the Canucks Conversation. Chris, uh, always a pleasure chatting with you. Thanks for doing this again, man. Sure is. I'm excited to be back on. I just saw on a blog that I've never heard of before, uh, ranked your podcast, the number one Vancouver Canucks podcast in the market. So I'm excited to get on the number one show. Really? I I didn't even know that. That's amazing. Really? You'll yeah, have they, to... uh, I believe they tagged. They didn't have the information right, though. They said you do one show a week. Ah, well... Sometimes when I'm right some weeks, sometimes actually. when I'm sick, yeah, that might actually be true. But uh, we're putting in the effort now to get. I'm, I'm trying to stick to a Monday to Friday schedule now, which will be a little bit different for me, as opposed to whenever I can and going straight through the weekends, and it feels like it never stops. So we'll, we'll treat this thing like an actual job and see where it gets me. Though good to hear that I am uh, atop someone's power rankings. That's amazing. You'll have to send me the link for that. Yeah, most definitely. Trust the process is happy because they moved up from six to five. So they're, they're in a good mood, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, buddy, uh, I'm glad to have you back, if only so that you can uh, catch up to quads in the, uh, the locked-on appearance rankings <laughs> because <laughs> he, he was pulling away from you. But uh, a, a couple big weeks for you, man. Um, before we talk about the, the Columbus game, because I'm sure the less said about it, the better, uh, let, let's talk about the uh, the article that finally came out for you last week, which was your Botchford Project piece, which was about the man himself. And obviously you and I have had uh, many conversations uh, over the last year or so about Jason Botchford and the impact that he had on our lives. But... Uh, Probably a, a pretty unique thrill for you to be able to go into the Canuck room and uh, you know and get that kind of human side of the players that we don't necessarily see all the time when you're just asking them questions about you know practice or how a game went or or so on etc. Right? Yeah. Oh, big time. And I I think you know a lot of these people who go into the Botchford project haven't really experienced this type of thing before, and I know a lot of people are saying they were super nervous going into it, but uh, like I I knew exactly what I was what I wanted to talk to the players about. I made sure that, you know, Canucks PR knew what I was there to do. Uh, I was, I was not really writing about hockey at all. So it was kind of difficult to, uh, to move into some of the conversation, especially because uh, the Canucks uh, PR and media group, those guys are all there asking the Canucks players about the dog races. Yeah. And I'm following them up asking about Jason Botchford. I'm like, I'm really sorry for this transition. Uh, but I'm actually asking questions about Jason Botchford, but man, like the players were, they were all so great about it. Uh, Elias Patterson actually didn't practice that day. It was an optional skate for them. Um, and then he, he didn't talk to anybody in the media. He was on his way out. And uh, they quickly grabbed him and said, hey, by the way, we have a guy here from the Botchford Project, and he's writing about Jason Botchford. So, like, as Patterson's heading out the door, he comes back in, uh, talks to me for five minutes, gives me some amazing quotes, because he's the guy that I, you know, out of all the players, he's one that I specifically wanted to talk to, because the idea of the article was to pretty much copy what Jason Boschford did last year with his article about Elias Pettersson changing everything in Vancouver. And, you know, when you see Pettersson go up there and, and, you know, give a shout-out to Jason Boschford and his family when he receives his Rookie of the Year trophy, and uh, just a relationship that, that I guess, you know, made it a little bit easier, I think, for Elias Pettersson coming into Vancouver, just knowing that he had, you know, Jason Boschford really had Petey's back when he got here. And you don't really get that a lot when a rookie comes over from Sweden and, 
you know, there's so much pressure on Elias Patterson. I really think that Jason Botchford helped kind of take some of that off with some of his writing and, and audio work that he did throughout the year. Just seems like Elias is like so um, cerebral, like he in the way that like he gets it. You understand that this is a very thoughtful human being, not just that he is a cerebral and incredibly intelligent hockey player in the things that he does on the ice, but that like just you know, I, I think often to the quotes about uh, when he talked about you know uh, the 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 kid that he was best friends with growing up basically facing uh deportation and and what that made him think about you know uh immigration rights and so on etc this is just a very thoughtful uh, uh you know uh, emotionally intelligent young man and um it's probably probably one of the best people that you could get kind of thoughtful and and really uh, emotional quotes about a subject like this as well N- never mind their you know unique relationship that they had obviously too yeah totally i mean elias Pedersen seems like the perfect kid to be i mean i'm sorry the perfect player to be a kid's hero right i mean he he really does everything right uh, no matter what he's kind of especially when he's come out and talked about something that maybe not a lot of hockey players do, like you bring up the deportation, his friends there. Like, I don't think a lot of hockey players are talking about certain situations like that in their lives, right? I mean, it could be maybe because there's a different hockey culture over there in, in Europe compared to maybe what we see in some of these, you know, major uh, major junior leagues and USHL leagues. I, I just think there's maybe a different culture when you have a player like him coming over. And the fact that he's, like, okay to open up and talk about that, I think that's just so incredible because it – it sets a good example for everyone that, you know, coming out and talking about these things when you have a platform like that is really a good thing to do. Yeah, I mean, this is completely unrelated to what we're talking about, but uh, <laughs> look, I, I don't want to I don't want to cast uh, aspersions on every single other NHL player except PD. But uh, mm. I, I do know some girls who have, uh, you know, partied with some NHL players in the past, multiple different ones that, you know, you can call them puck bunnies, whatever you want to call them. But the uh, the impression that I've been given from talking to women like that is like, there, there are no like good and true and pure NHLers. Even the guys who seem like good guys, if you knew about the the foibles that they get up to in their private lives, they would disappoint you. And uh, I, I responded to that by being like, "Well, you know, uh, d- d- not Elias Pettersson. Like he's not out there doing party drugs and so on, etc." And yes, I was. Con- it was confirmed to me that Elias Pettersson is a good and pure, perfect little angel. And uh, you know, it's it's. It's nice to to know that yes, there there are actually heroes that you can look up to, like you said, somebody that a kid can look up to and never be disappointed by. And honestly, for you and I in the media, like that's the role that Jason Botchford had for us, basically. You know, mm. the, the guys who made you want to get into this game and, and become somebody who's in the media, somebody who can. Um, you know, have the kind of opinions that he did and also be as entertaining as he was. And I think it is kind of notable that, uh, you know, obviously the, the players will, will tell you that they never read what's written about them, that they don't pay attention to their press clippings, but they do. They know which guys are saying what. They know uh, who has their back and who doesn't, who's fair and who's not, so on, etc. And it seemed like from the quotes that you got, uh, you know, everybody seemed to really appreciate the coverage that uh, that botch provided for the team yeah totally i mean elias Pedersen. it's funny we talk about him as, as him as the outlier uh he was the only one who mentioned that he does read and did read jason Botchford's work uh just to kind of add on to that but um yeah like troy stetcher mentioned that his parents kind of always told him that you know jason was always writing about him calling him one of the boys one of the leaders um bo horvat definitely gave some good quotes as well but i mean it's 
it's it's almost crazy. Like to, to bring it right back to Elias Pettersson again. Like you know, I I tried to go into these conversations with the players and think of it just simply as that as like a conversation about you know a guy that meant so much to me and so much to so many people in this market, uh, whether they're in media or not in media or with the team or you know not with the Canucks team. Like Jason meant so much to so many different people, and I. I tried to just make it like a conversation just to kind of see like, cause I wanted to just kind of get like raw emotions from them. Right. I didn't really have mm-hmm. prepared questions about Jason Botcher because it's like, man, I, I wouldn't know where to start like asking these players about him. So I, I kind of just like went into it and just tried to have a conversation. And Elias Pettersson, like we, we talked for probably six minutes. I think I have audio clip with him and, you know, Bo Horvat gave me a few minutes. Uh, Setcher gave me a few minutes, but it just, it just felt different, you know, talking with Elias Pettersson about that. And, um, I, I do have to give a quick shout out, of course, to uh, to Thomas Durant and Jeff Patterson. Like they were a huge help, kind of uh, prepping me because it was, you know, I was getting a little bit nervous, kind of going into the players because it's like I, I I probably wouldn't be so nervous talking to them about hockey, but this situation, like I just I wanted to make sure I did it right because I knew that this was going to be a huge platform to to talk about Jason Botchford, and I knew this is probably the the most people that would ever read one of my articles, so I wanted to do things right. Um, and they just helped me kind of just walk me through the day, which was, which was just a big shout out to the guys who run the Botchford project and Ryan beach as well. Like they've, they've gone through it. I think I was the seventh person to go through. I might've been the eighth. Uh, but the fact that they've been doing that all year for all these young aspiring writers, has just been an incredible program. And the fact that, you know, some of these articles that are coming out, like, I don't think one has been a letdown so far with the Botchford project. Yeah. And I mean, let's, focus in a little bit on what you got the guys to talk about because obviously it's a thrill to be talking to the players in the room under any circumstances but especially when it's a you know a a very emotional subject like this uh were you kind of just freaking out in your mind a little bit as you're holding the microphone just you know in awe of uh the great stuff that the guys were giving you was there any moment in particular that you were just like you know doing backflips in your head about how great things were going (laughs) Yeah, I, Matt, I'd have to have the article in front of me. I think Elias Pettersson said, uh, you know, he came in here and Jason Botchford told him that he was going to be the one that changes this team. He says he remembers reading that. Uh, and he's like, he he laughed pretty hard. He was just like, it was a lot of pressure at the time. Uh, when he said that, I was just like, oh, man, yeah, I guess so. But, like, uh, you know, he lived up to it, right, which was so cool. And, and he kind of mentioned that when we started talking. He said that uh, all the guys, you know, all three of them kind of mentioned, I don't think any of them made it into the article, but they all loved how much of a hockey nerd Jason was. And maybe that's something that, you know, we probably heard a little bit about it when he would actually just kind of have expanded audio time, like on the podcast when he was with Jeff or something. Mm-hmm. But he was, he like cared so much about like little tiny things. Like he wanted to know the, the blade that, that Elias Pettersson was using, like how thick the blade was, the curve on the blade, what kind of flex he was using. He, he asked Bo Horvat about his skates and if he changed anything you know, about when he came through and, and improved on his skating so much. He asked him if he was, you know, changing skates or working on different things. And I, I think that's something that, that, you know, a lot of media people in this industry right now can probably learn from. Like, I think when you build a relationship with the players like that, you're going to get the best kind of things out of them. And, and that seemed to be what Jason was able to do when he was here in Vancouver. Yeah, and, you know, it's digging for details, right? It, seemingly insignificant things can be uh, things that you can pepper into your to your writing here and there, right? Because, mm-hmm. like, uh, he wasn't necessarily writing about the team every single day. He didn't even write the Pravis or the Athletes for every single game. But the amount of content that was in those pieces... Like that, you know, reading one 
Athletes or one Pravis was like, you, you, if if it was any other reporter, the amount of work that would go into that thing would be four or five different articles, different stories, right? Mm-hmm. He had to constantly be coming up with fresh angles and fresh details, and, and you don't know where you're going to find them. So you do have to ask kind of uh, maybe obscure or oblique questions to find some little detail that nobody else has gotten to. And, I mean, Jason was kind of uh, legendary for that in some ways, you know? Um yeah. Beyond just talking to the players, though, uh, you also got to sit down with uh, Jason's mentor as well, who was uh, Tony Gallagher. And oh God, that was so much fun. <laughs> yeah, like Tony is just a legend, obviously, in this city for good reason. He knows more about the Canucks. He's forgotten more about the Canucks <laughs> than you or I might ever know, uh, Faber. So uh, tell me about sitting down with Tony. I would imagine that happened probably in the stands at Rogers Arena during practice that day. <laughs> no, actually, we went out to a white spot together uh, and uh, had some coffees. I know we, he, uh, I guess he's had his problems with uh, Ron Toigo in the past, so we weren't allowed to order burgers, so we just had a couple of coffees. <laughs> uh, but, uh, no, Tony was so much fun. And, you know, we, uh, like, I went in there and we wanted to talk about Jason Botchford, and I kind of, like, I was, I guess, a little bit wary of how the conversation was going to go, just because, like, you know, I'm, I'm 26 years old. He's a, a little bit older than me, and I was thinking with the age gap, like I, I wonder how the conversation is going to flow. I just, I wasn't really sure. And before we even like sat down, uh, like as we're walking to our table, we just start like going off about the goaltender situation because Jacob Markstrom was still healthy at the time. Uh, and then we sit down, and and the conversation just flowed nonstop for an hour. I mean, he told some stories that you know, I like I wanted to. Like, I, I could have, it's fun, well, it's funny, because I, I remember I had you on my podcast when I did the big one, at, just right after Jason's passing, and, mm-hmm. you know, I almost thought, like, man, that adding that conversation with um, with Tony would have just been so perfect to that, because uh, he told so many amazing stories about, you know, stuff on the road, and, and what Jason was kind of worried about when he first got here to Vancouver, but he said, and I think I included this in the article, he said he just came in with, with so much, you know, confidence, and he already, like, he had a great he did a great job of what he was doing, but he wanted to kind of like expand on it. And he wanted to move into social media and make that, you know, the future, because that's something that he was one of the only writers who kind of like started to include social media in that way. And we all know how the probies kind of changed post games for everybody around the league. Like nobody was doing that type of thing. And Tony kind of laughed about it. And he said like, you know, Jay, Jason kept him going uh, because he wanted to like kind of understand a little bit of why Jason was even doing those type of things. Cause it was just like a foreign language to Tony when he starts saying that he's including tweets and, and, you know, getting video inside of his articles. And, and Tony just said that he actually ended up learning so much from Jason. And, and um, so I sent the article to Tony Gallagher after I completed it because he said he wanted a copy of it. Um, and he emailed me back, uh, you know, just the day after, I think he's down in Florida right now, or he might've just got back, but um, yeah, he just, Tony was, was so nice and so genuine about everything when he was talking about Jason and, and, you know, even now it's nice to, to know that Tony just told me, like, he's, he's a phone call away whenever I need any help with anything or just have any questions to bounce off of him about this market. Because, like you mentioned, like, he's, he's a legend. He's a BC Hall of Famer for sports writing. And, you know, to be able to, to have that guy's phone number and reach out to him, I just appreciate, like, everything that he did and helped me with this article big time. And, and him and a, a bunch of other people. I mean, Jeff Patterson, we talked for, you know, 20 minutes in the, uh, in the media room, and, and I could have thrown every single quote that Jeff said about Jason there. Like he told some, uh, some amazing stories. And that's, that was the problem that I kind of had. Like when I was going in to write this article, I was thinking, I was like, you know, at first I was like, Oh, I just want to get all the pieces to the puzzle and try and put this article together so I can have the masterpiece. But 
I, I ended up having like so many goddamn pieces that I like I had too many pieces for this freaking puzzle. And I was just kind of worried that I wasn't going to, you know, the article wasn't going to land the way I wanted it to because I just, you know, I wanted it to be my masterpiece the same way that Jason made his masterpiece last year, the one about Elias Pedersen. Um, but, you know, I, I, I saw the response on Twitter. It was absolutely insane for a day there. I've never had my social media like that. Um, and, and I think it did land the way exactly like I wanted it to in the end. So I was really happy with how all the quotes ended up turning out there. Yeah, it seemed like it, it really resonated emotionally with uh, with a ton of people that I saw anyways uh, being shared right across Canucks Twitter. So uh, that's got to feel good. It's funny, uh, you know, we're talking about Jason asking all these kind of obscure, oblique questions to try and dig in as a hockey nerd with all the players he was talking to. There's kind of an inclination to want to do that with Tony uh, as a media guy, just about <laughs> media things when you talk to him. All these kind of uh, unknown, uh, little known, uh, little whispered stories from Canucks history that you know Jason would occasionally allude to here and there that are just kind of uh, just stuck in Tony's head right now he is the primary and only source for some of these things when I talked to him uh, Tony and I had a good conversation uh, the night of, uh, of Botch's memorial at, at Rogers mm-hmm. Arena with the, the whole media uh, gathering there uh, and I was just trying to push him as much as I could to to write a book like because yes. like there have been books written about you know the history of the Canucks and so on, etc. You know, uh, Drantz uh, wrote that 101 things Canucks fans got to know before they uh, before they die or whatever the name of the book was. Uh, and, and so many of the stories that are in that book are Gallagher stories. Like, yeah. <laughs> you, you need Tony to just like write one uh, like that of his own on some level to just get those stories out into the world finally if he if he feels willing to i guess burn some of those bridges though <laughs> i would hope enough time has passed that he can you know confidently write some of these things but uh, just what a It'd be wealth. like 101,000 uh, things that Tony Gallagher has done in his Canucks career that would be a lot of fun exactly and uh, when i when i was pushing him on that he was like you know it's my it's not just you my agent keeps telling me i got to do that yeah. too so <laughs> <laughs> so fingers crossed we get to read a, a Tony Gallagher book on the the history of this team before too long here. But, uh, Chris, let's segue into your most recent piece of writing, which uh, I believe might still be the post-gamer from Sunday night after watching that Blue Jackets game. Uh, uh, it's not as if... I was going to say, let's tr- you know segue over to a, to a heavier topic, this brutal <laughs> loss that the team suffered, as if uh, you know remembering Jason is not a heavy topic as well, though we do tend to laugh quite a bit uh, as, we, as we go over the memories of, of the man. But, um, Absolutely, yeah. You know... Uh, uh, a down note of a different type. The game uh, against the Blue Jackets on Sunday, uh, blowing it in about seven and a half minutes. Uh, I think your headline was how to lose a game in eight minutes, which is a fantastic bit of cleverness. Well done there, you, sir. You. Uh, you're not typically on the post-game duties. Uh, did it feel like you were you were cursed to have to cover that one in that way? Well, friend of the show, Jackson, uh, had his mom in town, so I had to cover for him, and it seems like... Every single time I cover for Jackson on a post game, it's just like the most annoying game. And it's like it's either one of the ones where it's like a two one or the you know, Carolina one nothing game yeah. or it's a game like this where they blow it in the last eight minutes and man, like it's tough because like I write post games and I kinda write as I'm going and watching the game, right? I'm not really good at kind of looking back and, and writing it that way. So I try and like write as I'm going and I you know, I read it back today, and I was like, oh, man, I was in such a good mood. And then, like, the third period. <laughs> it took a real like, turn in paragraph seven, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I get to a certain point, and I was just like, 
I think I included like a Blake Price tweet where it's like this game has hit a wall and it was just like the game got boring and it was like, oh no, like this this couldn't happen. And I remember texting my buddy and I was just like, oh, I'm on the post game. I really don't want to write like if they do blow it though, it's going to be fun to write the title. They blew it against the BJ's, and I was like, I don't know if uh, if Canucks Army would be okay with that in the end. Uh, but uh, I, I was just like, I was just watching the game just fall apart in front of them, and I mean, it's it's tough to see because like a lot of the whipping boys around town for the past little bit have been Antoine Roussel and Brandon Sutter, and for you know for good reason they haven't played great hockey. I mean, especially Sutter. Um, Roussel, I, mean, I think. Uh, Russell, I think, is understandable on some level because, I mean, I was saying on this show last week, he just hit the wall. His conditioning isn't there. To, mm-hmm. and, and that's totally expected for a guy that missed training camp and jumped back in, you know, in December. Like, you're not going to have your legs if you don't have that conditioning at the start of the year. The hope is that he can get it back before... Uh, the postseason, right? That he can come out of this. Sutter to me is just like this is what he is. This is what he's always been. Yeah, this is uh, what happens. I think I saw a tweet earlier in the year about Sutter's PDO. This is exactly what uh, what we're talking about when PDO is actually used in the right way. It's uh, you know he falls off pretty hard, and and seeing him play on that fourth line is a tough look with uh, Beagle as well. But yeah, you bring up a good point with Antoine Roussel because. For him to be successful on that third line, he needs to be skating at the pace of a Jake Rutanen and Adam Gaudet, right? I mean, a lot of their offense comes from rushes off the wing. A lot of them like to drive to the net, and Antoine Roussel has to be involved with that if they're going to be getting offensive games and controlling the, sh- the goal share with that line. And it's just, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I just think that maybe there is a little bit of loss because of what he missed so early on this season. And, you know, even like a couple days off here might just be so great for a guy like Antoine Roussel to maybe, you know, go back, look at some game tape, get the body a little bit healthier, and maybe have a good bounce back. Because, yeah, I mean, after that game on Sunday and after this recent road trip, when you're in the final stretch of the season, like, man, they better come out on Wednesday and show something because this, this town's ready to explode on the Vancouver Canucks if they don't. It's kind of a funny game, though, because it felt like in the early going anyways, or at least into the early going of that third period, that like, yes, finally, this team is, you know, feeling some sort of frustration or or, uh, or has learned a lesson from how things have gone wrong for them of late and are now doing to the opposition what the opposition had been doing to them for weeks, which is score within the first minute of the period. It seems seemed like, uh, you know, JT Miller had a, a, a good one there. And they, they just were striking fast and early, which is exactly how they came undone, basically, the night before in Toronto. Yep. And yet, you know, the the good things that, the you know, the, the what you would want as far as uh, what the opposition had been doing to them of late uh, all came unglued when what happened, I think, to Boston when the Bruins were here last week ultimately happened to the Canucks in that game, too, which is you're just... You're playing your third game in, uh, you know, however many nights it had been. You're at the end of a long road trip. Fatigue sets in. Like, I, I don't want to use it as an excuse and say, well, these things happen. But these things do happen. Like, the Canucks have run up on teams that have hit the fatigue wall in the exact same way. It's just an unfortunate timing where two points are so valuable to this team at this stage of the season uh, to see them, you know, suffer the same fate as well. So uh, the, yeah, be- the, the best and worst of, of, of what they've done to uh, opponents and what opponents have done to them, I guess, and it, falling and it on them this in time. The final period of that road trip, right? That's just the worst part about it because they played like they played a, a really good 40 minutes. Like they were controlling a ton of the pace of play. Uh, a lot of the shots that were coming for Columbus weren't really dangerous ones. I mean, I think at a certain point, the Canucks, and I think they finished this way, actually, as well. It's like, with scoring chances, 
they more than doubled the Columbus Blue Jackets in that game, but it just it fell apart. And I think that like you see it when we see a collapse like that in a regular season game, like those are the type of things that they ruin a playoff series, right? If you have that in like game three against a team in the playoff series, like there's not really much coming back from that. We saw what the Columbus Blue Jackets did to the Tampa Bay Lightning last year. I mean, those kind of moments and those kind of periods and those kind of 10-minute stretches of hockey cost you playoff series when you get to that point. And I think the Canucks, like, they have a lot to figure out before they start to become a contender. And I think that's kind of one of the first things they need to do is not having those 10-minute stretches because that's not the first 10-minute stretch of hockey we've seen this year where the team has just completely fallen apart and given up three or four goals. Yeah, and uh, there's been a lot of people over the last 24 hours talking about, well, this is a young team that's still learning lessons, so on, etc. And you and I will not be the first to make this rebuttal, but it was not the young players that cost the team that game. It was the yes. veterans. Uh, it was your Brandon Sutters, you know, the, and um, it's it's frustrating to see that, but I, I also understand the, the argument that this is a team that is still young and learning with regards to that game as well, because while it might have been the veterans who made the key mistakes to send the team into that tailspin, that tailspin in that final you know eight minutes of the game there was a full team tailspin. And Travis Green has talked yeah. about it multiple times over the course of the year already that uh, his team has a, a bit of a fragile confidence. They do not necessarily carry the swagger about them that they should at all times. They are still kind of uh, you know finding their identity, even if you know they. They've, they've hit it a couple times this year, and we were hearing, you know, after the Bruins game that was an absolute romp last weekend, uh, Troy Stetcher say things like, oh, we were just playing Canucks hockey. Like, they know what Canucks <laughs> hockey is now, which is not something that you could have said about this team at the beginning of the year, and that's good, but they're not always a team that plays Canucks hockey. They can be easily rattled and knocked off their game. And that is something that does come with age. That is something that you need to work your way through. And and this team is still very young. Like the core pieces that are going to be the part of the cup, if this team ever does win a cup, are very, very young, very, very new. And while they have wowed us in incredible ways over the last couple of years here, do still have things to figure out. Like I do understand that argument on some level. Yeah, I think definitely, like, agree to a lot of that. And But, you know, like, we see Quinn Hughes not play a lot in the last 10 minutes of that game. You know, and I wonder, like, does Travis Green just not trust him to be able to defend leads at a certain point? Like, he's done everything you've asked of him this year, and then he times that by 10 and done that as well. Like, Yeah, and, and I mean, Travis has even admitted at certain points that you know, Quinn is his best defensive defender as well yeah. at times. So, and yeah, we that... heard him on 31 Thoughts today just praising Quinn Hughes for what seems like 15 minutes. Uh, but I mean, like when you're going out there and you're starting to see that Brandon Sutter line be the one that Travis Green trusts the most, like I feel like that's the line I would trust the least out of maybe you know aside from maybe the Godet line, like maybe that's the one that should probably be taken away when you're in the last five seven minutes of a game. But if you're just going to consistently throw out that fourth line, like the fourth line is okay to match up against other teams' fourth lines. But man, if you have guys like Brandon Sutter and Jay Beagle, I just those aren't the players that I want out there when you have a one or two goal lead, specifically two goals. Because I think at that point, you want to let your good guys get out there, let your young guns go out there and still try and score goals. Because, you know, when you get to three goals, the games aren't over. Like, you need to try and expand on that lead. And good young teams do that. We see a lot of young teams in this league coming up that just start to run away with games because their young players start to take off. And it felt like that was going to be the type of game. Like, very early on, we saw Elias Pedersen and JT Miller have three points in this game. 
And it was like, oh, man, is, is PD going to have one of these four or five-point games that we love to watch him do? And, and then it almost just seemed like, like I don't know, I don't know if it's specifically the players that fell off for that spot, or I wonder what would, what it was kind of as like a full team mentality. It's just, you know, you get up in that lead and you just want to keep expanding on it because you want to prove that you're a great team, right? I mean, like this team has all the capability in the world to be known as one of the good teams in the NHL, but somehow they just fell back and, and I hate to say it, but they looked mediocre again against uh, against the Columbus Blue Jackets on Sunday there just because of how they fell off late in that game. Yeah, it's especially frustrating to see the over-reliance on that fourth line too because I'm sure you've heard this as well. This is something that has been brought up uh, on the radio quite often, at least on the 650 airwaves. I've heard it a number of times. You know, you and I are both big fans of Nikolai Goldobin. Uh, I don't think that's oh, a big secret. Talk Goldie. <laughs> we're, we're, I, I don't know how big of a fan of Sven Berchi you are, but I'm a big fan I'm of that right guy as well. Brother. So, yeah, we agree on these things. And the argument that's always used against us as to why those guys are in the AHL and, you know, certain guys are still on the roster is that coaches want reliability. They want to be able to trust that a guy might be a consistent, you know, six or seven player out of ten, let's say, versus a guy who might be a spotty eight or nine. And to me, I like I understand the baseline of that argument, but it also overlooks the fact that that fourth line is not as consistent as that argument makes it out to be. Like, have they had games this season where Travis Green hard matches them against some of the top scoring lines in the NHL and they do win the battle, they do succeed and come out on top? Yes, they have had games like that. They have had multiple games like that. Do they always play that way, though? Does Jay Beagle always play that way? The answer is a hard no. Like, absolutely he does not. And yet... You know, like you said, there is no reluctance to keep going back to that line that is clearly not playing well at all in a game like that, and it it can cost you just as much as, you know, a bad back check from a guy like Nikolai Goldobin can cost you. Over-reliance on, you know, thinking that you're going to get the performance consistently from what are, let's say it, overpaid fourth-line players is you know it's not it's not a reliable thing there isn't consistency there so you know i don't know i'm i'm not saying that the team should be constructed entirely of four scoring lines but rolling out the 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 group that's getting caved in late in the third period i'm right there with you it's frustrating to see it's not just you know the, the i talked about the team's confidence getting rattled it's getting rattled for a reason perhaps because the guys who can't hack it are being just rolled back out there again and again and again yeah, the good guys in the room are being looked at as good guys when they're on the bench, it seems like, sometimes, especially in the third period. I mean, like, yeah, like, I, I completely agree with you with, with the guy like Sven Berti. Like, I'm in that boat. I've been listening to you rats about him all year, and I've just been clapping my hands as I'm <laughs> driving around. Like, I I see Sven Berti play a lot, like, in the AHL. I've been watching him play a ton this year, and, and there were certain times before the trade deadline that I felt he was getting a little bit too, uh, like, he was thinking he was too skilled than he actually was at the AHL level. Like, don't get me wrong, he's probably more skilled than 95% of players in the AHL, but he was trying to do a little bit too much to kind of showcase himself a little bit. But aside yeah. from that little stretch, and, and at the same time, he was coming back from a high ankle sprain, so he wasn't really at 100%, but you see him play the game at the AHL level, and it's it's not really a skilled game in the AHL. Like it, It's not the best hockey to watch, to be honest. It's a, it's a professional league, and a lot of people say it's the second best league in the world. It's, it's definitely not the second most skilled league in the world. Like I'll say that. I love watching SHL uh, hockey, first of all. I'll, just, I'll keep saying that until I go to my grave. But um, Sven Berti, the way that he's playing, like 
he's not really in a spot on the Utica Cons team even right now where he's like the first line, top line, Alex Ovechkin type player where he's going to score so many goals and that's all he's going to do. Like he's being asked to be a two-way player at the AHL level and that's what he's doing. Like he's playing pretty responsible defensively and I just, I see the players that they're trotting out there on that fourth line and I know it's hard to, to take one of those guys out of the lineup or like a Brandon Sutter, but like Brandon Sutter is not making much more money than Sven Berchi is. Like he's just making a little bit more money than him. Like why would Sven Berchi not be given the opportunity at all this season? It's just, it's so frustrating to watch because I watch him down there and I see him improving. I see him, you know, being a mentor to these young kids down there. And the fact that they're not giving him a chance on a team that, you know, goes through a little bit of a struggle and has a player because this Canucks team just hasn't had a player like that, that they could call up and be like, you know, this guy might just make a little bit of a difference to our bottom six. Like, they just haven't had that type of player over the past couple of years. But the fact that you have a Sven Berchi, a Nikolai Goldobin, a Justin Bailey, a Zach McEwen, these type of players that were actually there with Utica, like, now you have the option that that's even an option, pretty much, right? Like, why not give these guys a shot when your team needs a jolt in the ass? Because, like, Sven Berchi is an NHL player. I think, like, a lot of people see that when he plays at the AHL level. He does not belong there. He should be back in an NHL team, and I just, it makes a lot of sense for me to give him a shot on, you know, maybe he doesn't, maybe he's not a first-line player like he was when he was playing at Bo Horvat a couple years ago, but he kind of makes sense on any of those other three lines to me right now, and I just think that you could add him in, you know, he would make a difference if he was playing with Adam Gaudet and Jake Furtan, and maybe he can keep up with him, and, and Roussel can jump down to that fourth line. Like, they have these type of options, but they're not exploring any of them with Sven Berchi or Nikolai Goldobin. It just it frustrates me because we just we have these guys now, and we just haven't had AHL players like this since the, the goddamn Manitoba Moose had Ryan Kessler and Alex Burrows on it. Like, that's the last time I can remember we, us having an AHL team that could, could actually help the NHL team like they have the capability of doing right now. I love the fire that you're spitting right now. I can I can feel you getting fired up right now. I've heard a lot of your Sven Berchi rants, so I thought I could bring a little bit more. Well, let, let me let me ask you a question about that because when I last went off about Sven Berchi, it was with relation to uh, Benning's quote saying that if they were to call somebody up from the Manitoba or not the Manitoba Moose from the Utica Comets, sorry for that. That's okay. I got the moose on the brain now. If they were to call somebody up from Utica, it would be Reed Boucher. It would not be Sven Berchi. You're a guy that does watch the Comets on a consistent basis. You know, you have the the AHL pass or whatever to, to watch the games online, and you write about them on a pretty regular basis as well. When you hear a quote like that, like, I went off about how that's letting your personal biases get in the way of actually icing the best team possible. Does that light a spark in your brain in the same way as well as somebody who's actually watching that team? Like, is there any universe where Reed Boucher deserves to be in the NHL over Sven Berchi right now? Yeah, the, the Reed Boucher conversation is so hard to have because it's like, like, uh, it's hard to keep talking about him, but the fact that I've actually been able to watch him play and see the type of impact that he makes in a game, he's, he's the first guy out there killing penalties for this team. He's the first guy going out there on the power play. He's more physical than any guy in the NHL in the AHL that's scoring twenty or thirty goals. Like he is making a huge impact in an AHL game. But I see what Sven Berchi is doing at the AHL level. He might not even like Sven Berchi is probably is not impacting a game at the AHL level like Reed Boucher is. But for some reason, there's something about Reed Boucher's game. Like I. It's the it's foot not speed. Even like the skating, the skating is, it, is like. Is it not the skating? Because that's what I always I hear is that he just doesn't have NHL feet. I think that the the problem maybe with if you want to look at his skating, like he's got a couple, he's got a decent first couple steps, and I think that he's 
he has improved from the past because I have Corey Hergott on my show every week, uh, and he's talked about it that you know Reed Boucher does have a little more get up this year. But I think the thing is when he's at full speed, it's just it's not NHL full speed. Like that's why I would talk about his skating as like he has a good first step and he gets out of the zone quick, but he gets into two and two on one and three on two so often. And then it's almost like he fades away a little bit. Like he fades away and looks to be the guy to be the trigger man on the shot. Like he can't, he can't lead a two on one really. He needs to be the guy on the other side that gets the pass just simply because maybe he can't get to that full speed and make those moves at full speed. Like it's not the skating, but it's almost like, like people talk about Connor McDavid, him being so good. Cause he can do all these things at, you know, 100% speed. I think and his brain kind of works that way. Appreciate. Yeah. Um, well, I guess let me put it to you this way. My final question before we wrap up. As somebody who watches the Comets on a regular basis, if this team were to suffer an injury and we put our fandoms aside, let's ignore that you and I are both secretly pulling for Nikolai Goldobin and Sven Berchi and have been all season long. If this team suffered an injury, who is your first call-up? Yeah, I think it depends. Like It depends on the line. It depends what player you want to slot into a certain spot. Like, I, I, I'll use Tanner Pearson as an example because I love talking about him on your show. Um, so <laughs> let's say Tanner Pearson goes down. Um, I, I think it would be, you know, because then you're looking for a top six guy that can bring some offense and still be, you know, a decent player on your defensive zone. I, I think they would have to go with Sven Berchi. Like, to be honest, it's the spot that Reed Boucher gets the call up has to be so perfect. And the spot that Nikolai Goldovin gets the call up has to be so perfect as well. It's, you know, it's, if it's JT Miller that goes down, then maybe it's a Reed Boucher or Nikolai Goldobin because they want to get a player who can bring some offense with Elias Pettersson. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, man, like you take away the defensive skill of JT Miller on that line, and that line looks a lot different as well. So I, I think it would have to be Sven Berti for a top six guy, but I think, you know, if it's anybody in the bottom six, they're just going to keep going with McEwen and Bailey. And, you know, they've been okay, but I don't think that, you know, their ceiling is as high as those other three that we just talked about. Well, uh, Faber, as always, appreciate your expertise on all things AHL, and uh, always a great <laughs> conversation, my friend. Uh, let's uh, let's catch up. Now that you're in the city, I don't think we've seen each other recently. Let's grab a beer one of these days, hey? Yeah, most definitely. I think uh, yeah, my sober February is over now, so I'm uh, ready to get some parallel beers going, and uh, yeah, we can meet up and have one for sure, man. A company man through and through, even works in his official <laughs> podcast sponsor into the conversation. I I figure we have to do it now that I put you on the spot and did it on the show <laughs> instead of said, let's go for beers as soon as we wrap up this uh, this little chat here. Anyways, uh, people can find you, of course, on the uh, Canucks conversation every single week, and uh, even sometimes more than one once a week and you guys are, are just pumping stuff out video content as well opening packs of cards every week yeah. uh you and quads are just killing it i'm really uh, enjoying following the stuff that you guys are putting out right now oh thanks a lot man yeah we we actually just moved uh, this will be our first week doing uh two shows a week we're gonna have a tuesday show uh and our regular saturday program and uh tomorrow we are recording episode 69 so we're very excited for that nice nice very nice my friend yeah. Uh, until next time, well, let's do this again before too long here. I, it's always a pleasure. And, hey, maybe I can even uh, stop by my old stomping grounds at BCIT and join you fellas. Yes, please show us how to use headphones. We still don't understand that <laughs> in the studio. We, we need one of you guys in there to give us some hand at the BCIT studio. W- would love to do it. Would love to do it. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks for uh, having me on. No problem. My pleasure, Chris. There it is. That's your show for the day with Chris Faber. Always a pleasure chatting with him, as I just told him, of course. If you want to do me 
me a solid, you can head on over to the Apple Podcasts app and leave the show a rating and a review if you're so inclined. It doesn't have to be five stars, but it would probably help if it was five stars, if that's how you really feel about the program on a daily basis. <laughs> uh, I would appreciate that. In the meantime, I'll be back tomorrow to preview Wednesday's action and chat about the Canucks with another guest. Don't have it quite lined up as of yet, but uh, had a couple irons in the fire for a very long time, hoping one of them can finally come together for me. If not, uh, well, I'll be back by myself to do this as I often am. Until then, I have been and will continue to be Justin Morissette, and you've been locked in on Locked On Canucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.